up like a lizard drinking. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Australian slang, roughly analogous to as busy as a bee. Ooh. Uh, one Formula One team in particular has been buzzing away, which we'll get to in the news. I think that's my best Australian accent yet, to date. You sounded like a Foster's commercial. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Drew Scanlon, noted Australian. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Good day. I'm doing good. I got I got in from my my uh, two week road trip uh, bus two hours ago. So oh, I'm that's fresh. called a walkabout. Is he right? Mm. I was on walkabout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite bar in London. It's full of very quiet people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to be careful. I'm gonna end up like Nelson Piquet here. Uh, we'll talk about that later on. A lot of news oh, to boy. cover today on the podcast. Starting it off great. <laughs> All right. uh, joining us is Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, doing well. To, be clar- to clarify, I don't think Danny was about to drop a slur. Uh, so I don't think Danny was about to be like, what, what was Nelson driving at? Like like what he said. Uh, but what would also, Nelson Australian listening, say in this moment? I just want to know for sure that's actual Australian idiom. Like, Australians, write in let us know if you've actually heard someone use that in the wild. Which one? Time I kangaroo. Oh, no, the internet. The one Drew said? <laughs> Uh, flat, flat out, out like a lizard's been drinking like a lizard drinking yeah flat out is apparently really busy i i did not get confirmation on what the lizard drinking part of it was uh but yes please any and all emails from australia are welcome uh, if you're new to this podcast a very warm welcome to you and if you are new to formula one itself we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you would like to go back and listen to that, this year's primer is episode 216, 216. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, this Friday, last day of the month, we'll be, uh, we'll be uploading our Drive to Survive Season 5 review. Uh, we all watched it and decided that it was uh, one we could easily do in one episode. There's a, there's a good amount of uh, uh, fat on it, but it's uh, there's, there's just there's some waffle in here too. So we're gonna we're gonna ta- do our best to review uh, the se- the season. I suspect most of you, if you were going to watch it, will have watched it by now. And of course, massive shout outs to all of our incredible title sponsors: my wife Sharon, Alex Medina, Kickaha of the multiple time penalties. Ash Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, At Talking Autos, Olivia Evans, Ironstation.dev, TelemetryDeck.com, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Enzo, and Ayrton. Octothorpe Betwixt Job Crimes, lots of unpacked there, <clears throat> unpacked there, Sniggs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Humberto Roca, William Romf, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Maddened Man, and Jason Kelly. Thank you, guys. Fantastic. Thank you to all of our title sponsors. And now let's jump into the news. Let's just kick it off here. Kind of a lot to talk about. Rob, a couple of businessy stories. It's business. Uh, Corporation shenanigans. So the first thing that sort of caught my eye was that apparently in the coming weeks, the teams uh, up and down the grid are going to be discussing revising the cost cap to allow for like capital expenditure, basically investments in the 
physical like plant infrastructure of an F1 team. Ah. And the person who's been really driving this, and you can only imagine the story behind this, is James Valls, newly installed over at Williams uh, as team principal, <laughs> took a look around and apparently realized that this is a team that needs some pretty serious upgrades and investments. But because there's a cost cap and its terms are rather strict right now, uh, if you do not have like existing good infrastructure, if you wanted to build it right now, as the rules are constructed, you would just have to short something. So like you would basically like maybe you have to do the Haas thing where it's like we're going to give up on this season. Uh, and throw, Follow I mean, year. Follow season. Yeah. Except, you know, when you think about the expense of some of the things you have to like build and like bring online, it'd be it'd be huge. Right. It'd be it'd be wildly expensive. So. What they are proposing is an exemption to allow for things like uh, new, new, new fab facilities, new R&D facilities, etc. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me from the story on autosport.com uh, is just Val's talking about it's, it's things that are like big and small. But like there's a quote here uh, where it sounds like Williams uh, like tech infrastructure might be so weak that they don't even have real software to track inventory. Uh, oh, no. he, he said, he said that, uh, there are like Val said, there are some of what I would consider basics, which are in place in other teams and have, have been since almost 15 years. For example, there are software systems that allow you to properly understand where all your parts are and they simply don't exist at Williams. As a result of that, what impresses me is that before I joined, they built the car you see in front of you, 15,000 pieces coming together, fitting, working, and seemingly going around the track fairly quickly. That's an incredible accomplishment, but clearly it's not how we can move forward. Like, I don't think – that quote does not make, does not sound to me like he's describing design software, like how does the no. car like Ikea together. To me, that sounds like all the bits and bobs that make up an F1 car, they're having to like, I don't know, consult a ledger. Or something, which kind of explains. No, it's maybe just it's on that shelf, you know. No, I put I put them on that. No, the third shelf. No, I they, know where they are. They've always it been there. May look like a mess. Yeah, they've always been there. It's it's fine. It does go some way to explaining why you know a few years ago you saw Claire Williams boarding a plane <laughs> and buckling wing. like wing elements <laughs> into the seat next to her. I was just thinking oh, somebody's got like a front wing. I've worked in some shops that didn't have good inventory uh, software, and that was where people you go around someone's house and they had a couple more box sets than maybe they should have i mean how old's my sequel get, get these people a lamp stack in here and, and i don't know brad shoemaker can whip <laughs> oh, something up for him god can you imagine just the joy of like someone making uh brad they're like cto uh, one of these, one of these teams. So anyway, uh, that actually has produced a. It seems like there's not a lot of opposition to this. Uh, a lot of folks, yeah, uh, this find pragmatic. The, yeah, they, they. A lot of folks seem like uh, seem to agree it's a good idea and are keen to sort of see it out. So it seems like that is a development to the rulebook that's probably going to go through. Uh, something else that is sort of going through right now is Zach Brown and what he is going through is the McLaren organization. Love it. Uh, and he is making some pretty major changes. And what it sounds like is, so it's it like the trigger for this is when Seidel left 
and Andrea Stella was installed, there was kind of a chance here to kind of like re-examine the org with a new management structure in place. The other thing that they sort of uh, had to, apparently this is all stemming from a review of their operations they started last year when it was clear that they'd like fallen pretty down the order Mm. and they were not on the trajectory they had hoped to be. They kind of did an investigation as to like, well, what is going wrong here? And one of the conclusions they reached was that you know, at the end of that disastrous partnership with Honda, they changed engine partners twice, and they got a winner with both Renault and Mercedes, and they enjoyed some real surprise success following that, and that sort of masked the fact that a lot of underlying organizational issues had not been solved. Uh, so now, with some turnover uh, at the top, they have sort of leaned into revamping the organization and... This is where it gets a little bit interesting when you think about the history of uh, like McLaren, like organizing the McLaren team. Uh, they have moved back to a like three chiefs uh, system as opposed to a single technical director who answers to the team principal, which sounds a little bit like remember one of the things they blamed uh, Ron, like one of the things they blamed their really grim years with Alonzo on was that Ron Dennis had moved to a matrix management structure, mm. uh, which is kind of similar to something like agile uh, development I guess, is, is kind of how it always sounded to me. And so they went, they were very pointed about, we were fixing this all up and we were establishing more of a traditional chain of command type structure. And now they've added a bunch of uh, technical heads beneath the beneath the top layer uh so real real quick here they have uh they, they have brought over david sanchez uh who just left ferrari uh he is going like he was the head of vehicle concept uh over at ferrari they are going to it seems like they are going to try and get him in early but he is uh you know on gardening leave until january uh, but he will become right. the technical director of car concept and performance. That Ferrari uh, garden has probably got a lot of fellas in suits walking around, <laughs> trying, to, trying to waste ten months. Oh, hey, you're new. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's got to be like a uh, it's like a almost like a Franciscan so. Abbey <laughs> yeah, of yeah, like exactly, ex yeah. Ferrari uh, <laughs> chiefs. Like, oh uh, yes, uh, F- Father Mattia uh, is is in the is in the greenhouse. <laughs> So uh, he's also going to be working with Peter uh, Padromu, who is going to be the uh, technical director for aerodynamics. And then there's a new position, uh, technical director for engineering and design, that uh, apparently a you know previous McLaren staffer, Neil Neil Holdley, is being moved into. Uh, so that is that that's kind of the new the new organization. The argument that McLaren has made is that. While this seems like it could potentially create too many divisions in the company and reproduce some of the disadvantages that they had earlier, their argument is that uh, Andrea Stella is from those engineering departments. He is a very like technical chief. And so this management system will be well adapted to sort of interfacing with what he brings to the table. I don't know. I'll believe anything, but at the same time, it does feel like 
Uh, every time like McLaren's kind of hit the skids, the answer is, oh, you know, a new. We really just had a really messed up management structure, and we need to fix it. And it's true, like the fish rots from the head. Mm. But I don't know. Uh, you know, I guess we'll 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 see how it plays out. Uh, but it, it just does seem like this is once again kind of a reboot of the of the organization, uh, the second one in like four or five years. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a bit. It's not as sort of drawn out as the Ferrari situation where we're like, oh, here we go again. But it is a little bit like Zach Brown's reloading his Crusader King save game and giving it another go. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, none of that worked out. Let's uh, let's try these pieces here. Um, it's funny, both of those stories are about teams with like great British racing heritage that are sort of stuck in this weird little gully they can't, can't seem to get out of. And, you know, that's not too crazy, but when you see where like Ferrari fans are, they're probably a lot happier than they were like, you know, three or four years ago, even with all the madness that's going on at the moment. And obviously Red Bull fans having a fantastic time. You know, th- when they see that happen, I'm sure that's part of it. You know, that's the sometimes when the other teams make those leaps. Um, Alpha, you know what I mean? Like, it's happening all around the place at the moment. Sorry, not Alpha. Um, um, Aston. Aston. Um, uh, and I know you've been sl- you've been getting into soccer a little bit, Rob. Um, and there's a similar situation what happened with Tottenham recently sacking Antonio Conte, even though they're fourth in the league. A large part of that's probably because of, there's all there's other teams that like Arsenal who have clearly jumped the gun. And sometimes that comparison can weigh on you even more than your year on year stuff. So, in a way, I'm not surprised to see some of these uh, teams really trying well, to. And it's always kind of the question of like. You know, you know, as you point on the the Tottenham example, they're still having like a pretty successful year. I think uh, I think Conte is was what was point zero zero one off Tottenham's most successful manager, but it didn't matter because they were playing football that looked ugly, um, and ultimately he he's brought in to win leagues and Arsenal have managed to completely flip the script in the same twelve months. But that's the thing, and like in F one, like the margins are so razor thin that like you will look like a complete uh, you know poltroon. <laughs> And right. even if, like, you know, objectively you fielded an okay card. Now, admittedly, in this case, we have two years if it's not competitive. Like, something needs to change. But, yeah, uh, yeah I'm very curious to see how it plays out. Well, speaking of terrible optics, oh, God, Danny. Is, is it my turn? <laughs> cool. What's your story? Uh, I gotta... uh, Rob, Rob flagged this. It's actually a follow-up <laughs> to a story that we covered I don't know. Last year, yeah, it feels like six months ago, maybe. Kind of, yeah. um, we didn't linger on it because, like, you know, whatever. But uh, Nelson Piquet said some racist, homophobic stuff uh, in a Brazilian television interview, uh, specifically about Lewis Hamilton, um, uh, using terminology in a sort of a, you know, in the in, a, in the type of old man way you might, I guess. Uh, but this isn't the first, and perhaps hopefully will be the last. But Nelson Piquet has got priors on this type of stuff. Uh, perhaps, though, he won't in the future, uh, thanks to four human rights groups, including Brazil's National LGBT Plus Alliance, uh, who took him to court, suing Piquet for $10 million Brazilian dollars for moral damages. It sounds like a D&D role. I'm going to get you for 10 million moral damage. Um... Uh, On Friday, this past Friday, this according to Autosport, uh, the civil court in Brazil's capital, Brasilia, offered Piquet to pay, sorry, ordered, (laughs) offered uh, Piquet to pay half the demanded amount, 5 million Brazilian real, the equivalent of 780,000 pounds sterling. It's a lot of money, man. Yeah. It's a lot of money for saying something dumb. 
and racist and homophobic. Uh, he will be able to appeal this. Uh, but uh, yeah, the judge in the in the in the decision saying the repertory function of civil responsibility, uh, but also perhaps mainly the punitive function, precisely that as a society we can one day get rid of of the pernicious acts that are racism and homophobia. Presumably, he said that in Brazilian Portuguese. But the uh, the, the 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 message there is true or is is very clear. Nelson, shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, it's just it's such a like. Coming from the United States, where our laws are exceptionally permissive when it comes right. to speech, uh, it's kind of breathtaking to see the idea of someone getting their ass sued off by third parties. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, for moral damages, moral for damage. basically being like your vibes are toxic to society yes. and you must be held accountable in, in, in a country that recently had Javier Bolsonaro as their president I feel like there's a lot of third parties who could get him for moral damages well and that's that's another thing I, I do kind of wonder about as well just like where all this stuff sits in the landscape but I, but I do like to a degree the notion that you could have like uh, it would be codified where you could like launch civil actions for people who are perpetuating existing uh, social prejudices and like discrimination. Right. Yeah. And that can be, you can be held account to that, held to account for that for like basically making this country a worse place to live. And it's like, that's kind of cool. It's a far cry from like what we have here where like, you know, anyone on Fox news can go on and be like slavery. Was it that bad, right. or do we think black people are being a little dramatic? And everyone's like, "Fair I'm game, not- good to go. Sell those gold. Sell, sell those cash. Sell those cash to gold ads. Uh, right. No, no problem here." Yeah, or yeah, or specifically in the case of Fox News, be like saying a bunch of stuff about the elections, knowing full well that right. it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it, it's wild. It's uh, it's I, I don't think anyone, regardless of where they sit on the free speech against uh, you know because obviously in the UK then you have the sort of the libel world which can be and I guess over here as well with the whole Peter Thiel stuff with Gawker I guess that was in a way kind of in there as well um, I don't think anyone's going to argue with Nelson PK just be quiet dude for goodness sake yeah worth noting Lewis Hamilton is an honorary citizen of Brazil yes which considering what he did to Felipe Massa all those years ago on the final turn in Interlagos <laughs> is really <laughs> something that says a lot about how much they uh, he's done in the interim uh, in Brazil. It's true. Who's his uh, who's his turnaround artist? Yeah, maybe Timo Glock isn't allowed in Brazil anymore. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did a great job rebranding himself as like, I'm just a guy who loves Ayrton Senna. Right, I'm yeah. just I'm like, just a seven-time right. world champion who just wakes up every day thinking like, how can I honor Ayrton today? And Brazil was like, this man is Brazilian. Uh, all right, uh, last fun story here: um, Jensen Button and Kimi Raikkonen, former Formula One world champions, no longer in the sport, but in the sport of NASCAR, at least for a couple races. Uh, Jensen Button. And Kimi Raikkonen took part in the Circuit of the Americas race that happened last weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kimi's raced a couple of races at this point. Uh, this was Jensen's first time in a stock car. Mm. Uh, and he's got some quotes here from his first race that I thought 
uh, were really illuminating. Just, you know, I love the fish out of water story. I love hearing about how uh, different cars are different to, you know, very experienced drivers and hearing <laughs> them talk about it. So I've got a couple quotes here from racer.com and formula one.com. Uh, <laughs> Jensen button says it was an emotional roller coaster. First, it was terrible. I mean, I must've been last by the end of it. And I was just like, everyone go. I just need to drive and find a rhythm. <laughs> I've never gone through a corner too wide so often. And just trying to place my car in the right place, I got it wrong every time. Uh, <laughs> normally, if you're a bit slow through a corner, nobody tries to overtake you from the outside because they're not going to make it all the way on the next one. But here, they do because they get a wheel on the inside for the next one. And if you turn in, you turn around. Um, he apparently, let's see, he got, <laughs> he got very hot uh, during the race. Um, he apparently... Uh, like came in just to stop. Um, he says, I, I didn't have a fan in my seat. Uh, I was so hot that I was going to faint in the car. So I stopped twice for a minute. They put ice on me and gave me loads of water and I went back out. I was so close to getting out of the car because I thought I was going to faint. I must have drunk eight or nine bottles of water during the race. The team kept me calm and just the reason why we got a good result in the end. So I was happy. That good result 18th place yeah so i think finishing is just that sounds uh, like especially hell. when uh it's nascar rubbing is racing uh as we learned um it was a great interview my favorite part was when i was watching his interview he talked about how he was at, he didn't like that first stint and all that and he was like at a certain stage he asked him for fresh air and i assumed he meant finding a spot to bring him in at a pit stop so that he could have some fresh air in front of him to drive but he literally meant fresh air <laughs> Yes. Because he was passing out. So, yeah, fair play uh, for trying. In terms of rubbing and racing, he says, it took me a while to learn the racecraft. I hadn't raced for three years either. Wow. And I've never hit a car intentionally. That's amazing. And then after the first day when I changed tires, I was like, uh, guys, I need some laps on my own. That's uh, awesome. Apparently, Kimmy hit him. Uh, <laughs> and from then on, the car just felt so oversteery. I just went backwards and I also had heat ex exhaustion. I was like, guys, I have to stop. It was that bad. Wow. It's, I would have considered him like still in pretty decent racing shape. The, the, the hearing the, the like, dude does triathlons yeah. on the rig. Yeah. Like 43. To hear him saying it's that grueling really does make me sort of look at everyone else like, damn, are these guys like way steelier than I give them credit for being for just like enduring the hell of a, a NASCAR cockpit. So I didn't watch the race. Uh, the thing that got me was watching qualifying. I could not, how they were enforcing track limits was like <laughs> driving me uh, bonkers. It was like, they were letting them go so far off, off the, off the track. Uh, and, and then there was one place where like the track limits rule was being enforced differently. So like in this one place, if you went onto the stripes, uh, that was track limits, but otherwise was it, was it like sector three, a lot of that area? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like somewhere. Well, no, actually it might've been somewhere in the S's maybe. Um, oh really? Uh, yeah. yeah. But either way it was like, they were just like, they're basically letting guys cut the S's, uh, T turn this S into an uppercase I. Yeah, you're right. Because if you're in those, if you're in a car like that, like the, those bumps aren't going to do nearly as bad, like the sausages or the, or the rumble strips. Rather, you could probably just sail over them. Yeah. But yeah, well, I was just like, I couldn't. Figure, I was like, it, it looks to me like they're going off every single time. But uh, yeah, the 
the way they were the, the way they were adjudicating it was very permissive. Uh, Do we know how Kimmy did? Uh, yes, I kind of don't want to say in, okay, in fair case enough. people want to uh, watch it, but um, it sounds like he had an interesting race. Okay, very good. Um, well, let's sail on down to Australia, Danny. Okay, down to the beautiful Albert Park in Melbourne. I like to really wrap my mouth around that OU Melbourne. Maybe. Uh, this is a track which you may have forgotten, perhaps, because this is a, a track I feel like we're always thinking about a lot. It was, for the longest time, the opening uh, race of the season. Um, they stopped doing that. I believe 2019 was the last year it was the opening race. Um 2020 it was around this time when the covid pandemic kicked in and we chased Kerry doing that uh, impromptu uh, press conference outdoors saying that the grand prix shock car had been called off uh but we did go back last year under the new uh circuit which has been changed uh kind of all over it in some ways the biggest change happened at the start of sector two there was a uh, chicane it was turn nine and ten um, a chicane is maybe a strong uh, word for it, but it was a, it was a slow right-hander, which was basically removed to um, make the fast part of that lap even faster. And this is a fast track. It's one of the fastest tracks in um, in the in the season. It's an interesting track when it comes to grip and tire wear. There's a lot of track evolution over weekend, and part of the reason for that is that half of this track is a regular road that is in the park that you can cycle and walk and drive on like you can in many parks in big international cities. Um, And then part of it is bespoke created for the F1, including the start-finish straight and stuff like that. Um, So there have been little nicks and and changes here and there. The start-finish straight was changed a bit because of Ricciardo hitting that manhole or the drain, remember, back in 2019. Yeah, so they made some of the curbs a little bit more permissive. The pit lane, I think, is actually fast. one of the faster ones. They, they open up the speed there. Um, and uh, like I said, the rubbering in is a big factor because it doesn't get that much rubber on it, even during the year when it's a road. As far as I know, it mostly is a, it's not a, a road that like cars are driving on all that much. I could be wrong. Maybe there's parts of it that are that way, but in my mind, it was more of like a Golden Gate Park situation where there are roads, but there aren't cars necessarily driving down them a lot. Um, so it gets rubbered in quite a lot. So the speeds on Fridays and Saturdays um, are different than as... A, a lot of those like human-powered like eight-person drink on this <laughs> like weird bicycle machine. Exactly, yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've PTSD of almost being hit by those while I was on cycling around London for many years. Um, <laughs> you can usually hear them coming now. Um, which is a good thing. It's a uh, 58 laps long, two point sorry, 5.278 kilometers. Uh, that is 3.27 miles. Um, bumpy as well, it can be, but drivers generally really like this track. It's uh, it's fast, it's fun. The corners are interesting, <clears throat> as with a lot of these older circuits that are built in places that aren't necessarily purpose-built tracks. Uh, there are some unique corners here. You know, like turn six is a real weird one to me. Um uh, and uh, yeah, it's been here since 1996. It's kind of an old head now, but uh, for the longest time, it was kind of it felt like new because the Adelaide track they raced in there until the end of 1995. It used to be near the end of the season, 
then they started on this one in 96 and now it's become uh, an old head i really like this track it usually provides good um racing and uh seems like it's great crack to be there it seems like like a lot of fun you know aussie fans can't beat them um they really like their motorsports if you uh didn't know already and uh yeah hopefully it'll make for some good racing this weekend Fantastic. Well, uh, weather-wise, we it looks like it might be raining a little during the week, but not for qualifying uh, or the race as it stands now. But it will be kind of cold. Uh, it looks like on qualifying day, the high is 60 uh, Fahrenheit or 15 Celsius. Um, and on Sunday, it only climbs up a little bit to 65 or 18 Celsius. Uh, light wind. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see if the, if the cold has anything. Apparently it was the coldest winter in San Francisco here last Dude. week. Dude. Uh, since like the 1800s. What is, I was on a road trip all around and all I kept hearing about was this. I got a call. I told, I think I told that story last week to Rob. I was like this, all this crazy stuff. And then I, it was beautiful. And then I, today I was driving home and I hit San Jose and it was just torrential, right? I was like, what's going on? Yeah. Is there something it's like so sort of here. Lovecraftian like spell has been put on the bay area it's just constant rain uh, i don't know what god we anchored yeah well santa rosa's got uh, water for four years apparently so maybe we <laughs> needed it as well to a certain extent well heading into the uh australian round we have uh in terms of driver standings verstappen on top one point ahead of his teammate sergio perez in second place mm. uh then we got alonso in third with 30 points signs uh, and Hamilton are tied with 20 at four and five, respectively. Uh, Russell's in sixth place, and then a jump of 10 points down to Stroll in seventh. Uh, we got Leclerc, Botas, Ocon in 10th. Actually, Botas, Ocon, and Gasly are all tied. And then Magnussen and Albon tied in uh, 12th place. Behind them are Sonoda, Hulkenberg, Sargent, Joe, DeVries, Piastri, and Norris. Boy, uh, really <laughs> tested my ability to convert three-letter acronyms for uh, drivers that are new. <laughs> um, but I did it. Uh, constructor standings, Rebel Racing is on top. Aston Martin and Mercedes are tied for second uh, in the constructors. Ferrari is in third with 26 points uh, to Aston's and Mercedes' 38. Uh, Alpine's got eight points there in fifth place, followed by Alfa Romeo, Gene Haas and team, who's tied with Williams for seventh and eighth. And then Alfa Tauri, and McLaren both have zero. Womp trying womp. to trying to cut down on the number amount of numbers I throw at people. Just trying no. to give you the upshot. Look, here. man, if they I'm didn't like numbers, point. they wouldn't be watching this sport. I guess that's true. All right. Uh, if you really like numbers, you can join our fantasy standings and get some numbers of your own. Use the <laughs> link in the show notes to join. Uh, or you can send us an email at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Denny O'Dwyer, I believe you have some emails here for us to read. Yes, let's consume these emails. Drew, do you want to take this first one from Dimitri? Yes, Dimitri from New Jersey writes, The former Force India Motorhome is available on the market for a cool three, uh, I'm sorry, $538,000. Uh, the article links a video that offers the best look inside an F1 motorhome I've yet seen. Thought you guys might like to see it too. All right, this is motorone.com. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with uh, the concept of the motorhome, you've probably seen these on Drive to Survive. There, it's a, it's a it's a misnomer. 
I think <laughs> this is not a caravan. <laughs> no, I, and they they are more like motorhomes in sports like Indy or NASCAR. These are like transformers. These are yes. buildings. They're absurd. That they put on the back of like multiple semi trucks. Uh, and then construct at the circuit. They're like the hospitality suites, right? Where like, oh, you're a sponsor. Come in and have some coffee. And then upstairs is like, I don't know, where the team sits and has some, maybe their debriefs are there. I'm not entirely sure because you don't often get a look inside. So I'm going to play this uh, video right now. Yes. Um, uh, apparently the only um, issue with this is that it is located in uh, the town of Hildesheim in Lower Saxony. Um in Germany, and it requires Wait. Uh, a crane and a small fleet of trucks to transport it. <laughs> uh, so it's that's just south of Hanover. So basically, kind of right in the middle of the country. Why is just it's still there. got Their headquarters was somewhere? Their headquarters was in the UK. They they were did just, it get left behind? They in, just in, left on it. The they, they couldn't afford it anymore. <laughs> they just left it in this this beautiful like. You should look at pictures of Hildesheim. I want to visit there. Jeez, Louise. it's still got all the. The Force India and BWT branding in it, and like the pink chairs. Terrific. Elegant and fully equipped, it said. Would you refer? I'm not sure elegant is the word I would use here. No, no. you know, I would like, if you compare it to like, uh, so the motorhomes that like drivers have in IndyCar, where like, Elio Castro Neves, for instance, drives around in a mobile like hotel grand suite. You know, that's kind of mm. like what he is rolling around in. This is like, business center in a hotel vibes is the the way a yeah. lot of it reads yes, to me that's uh, not luxury yeah yeah uh, nothing says business center in a hotel more than somebody leaving their notes behind and there's quite a lot of uh, reference photographs printed out of uh, I- of I- ideal apexes to hit like 248 no. yeah if you hit 248 in the video oh you'll my see God. some you'll see some terrific it's like chernobyl <laughs> it's like they left it's like yes. they had to leave yes. with no notice wait wait what's the the circuit map that's out as uh, catalonia terrific just in time for testing um, oh that's that crazy that's amazing isn't it they just left it there who knows what else Sorry, Patreon backers, dig deep. Uh, Shift F1 <laughs> needs a motorhome. We need to get in there and see what was left behind. Oh, uh, this is awesome. I've never seen the toilets in an F1 motorhome. Well, now you have. Uh, how Who feel? <laughs> how do you guys feel about moving to Hildenheim, Lower Saxony? <laughs> Sounds like a good sign. Oh, man. Make a, make a streamer house. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, make it. Yeah, edit a motorhome. Done. We can practice Dota every day. I think they need baffling. It looks like an incredibly echoey place. Oh, I don't yeah. think it would work very well. Yeah, you're probably um, right. Rob, you want to read this one from Reins? Yeah, uh, we'll do. Reins writes, So I want to clarify things surrounding Haas. They do not build machines that you make F1 parts with. You could potentially with some of their higher-end machines, but they definitely aren't built to do hyper-precise work. We'll get to what they mean by hyper-precise, because I think it's not what you and I would probably define as hyper-precise. Haas <laughs> machines are well-known in the U.S., Canada, Western Europe as being the bang-for-the-buck machine, as well as the last CNC machine maker that really does make them in the U.S. They're popular as a machine for a shop that is just starting out or is mm. going to be used to make precise parts where cycle time, machining time, isn't a critical factor, or if your average tolerance is plus or minus Point zero zero five inches, <laughs> a standard and easy thing to hold in most machines. See, to me, that's oh, still sounds hella precise. Right, five thousand. 
uh, I need that millimeters though. Is 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 the thing? I'm like, what's the what's the, what's that tolerance in millimeters? But anyway, a really precise machine, like what you would use to efficiently machine tight tolerance parts for an F1 car, tend to be two to five times the price of a comparably sized Haas. For reference, a Haas can be great for holding plus or minus 0.005 inches. The machines Mercedes use hold plus or minus 0.0005 inches repeatably. Uh, source, machinist for 10 years, multiple Haas certifications, manufacturing engineer for one of the largest owners of CNC mills in the world. It's just wild to me to think about like the tolerances that Haas machines can churn these things out. I'm like, that's like, wow, that's, that's miraculous. That's like crazy precise. And in the machining world, it's like, that's fine. Like if you don't if you don't really if you don't really have to care that much about precision, uh, a Haas will get will get it done. Uh, but if you if you really need something nice, you need this thing that's a completely different order of magnitude of precision. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, thanks wow. for the info. Uh, I'm on the I'm on the Haas uh, site right now. Um, I'm seeing I'm seeing a wide range here. I don't really know what I'm looking at here, but you can get uh, you can get your basic. You know, if you're looking for uh, a vertical mill, you know, 40 taper, three axes, 8.1 K RPM, 20 tool capacity. It's not bad uh, for $56,695. That's great. Uh, however, we- if you want something really, really nice, like, uh, oh, I don't know, a three axis CNC gantry mill with yes. 145 inch by 87 by 22 travels, we're looking at. Two hundred and twenty-six thousand. Mm. See what you said there. It just sounds like big three D printer. Yeah, yeah. Like if I can just feed it the materials. Ooh, I could. Here's just, a. Uh, we might be able to build our own uh, motorhome. Right. I mean, here's a whole vertical machining center for four hundred and sixty-three thousand. So that That's sounds like a lot of money. Starcraft. You could just build, build buildings. Yeah, we could. We could. We could like mill ourselves some cars. Mm. We can mill ourselves homes. And, uh, you know, suddenly it's like we're turning a wild profit on that $500,000 yeah. CNC machine. Get some harvesters. Harvesters just yeah. find Everyone's like, the richest wow, vein of like, spice melanges. How'd you guys make these sheet metal Quonset hots uh, that, that you live in <laughs> now? Uh, Jensen Button, well, come over. It's really, yeah. it's really hot in here. It's a good Battle time. cruiser operational. Outrageous! That's all. That was the most uh, uh, real-time strategy references we've ever ever had in one email. Good job, everyone. Good job, team. Uh, this one comes in from yes, Brian. <laughs> five by five. Uh, why does every commentator feel the need to say the oldest Formula One driver on the grid every time Alonso breathes? Fastest slap, and the oldest driver on the grid does the fastest slap, makes a pass, and the oldest driver on the grid passes someone, talks about the car, <laughs> the oldest driver talks about the car, just sort of seems hyper-focused on the guy's age. Um, I do, I am starting to find, I think the problem was, for the longest time, we didn't have many reasons to talk to Fernando, and now that he's kind of like... He's shaken off because that was his bit, right? Every we're humans, we characterize things. We can't help it. Some of us do it better than others. Nelson Piquet, for instance, bad at characterizing things. 
uh, people who are talking about F1 generally good. You know, they've got we've we, you know Lando is the sort of cheeky British guy. You know, we have uh, Carlos. Uh, you know, Signs is is kind of a, one of these. You know, he's not he's not one of the F1 fail sons, but he's kind of like you know he's trying to make his mark in this sport and all this. And then Alonso's the old guy. And that's all he was for the longest time. But now he's sort of shook up the, the, the boggle box a little bit. And, and now he's actually somebody who's like doing really well in a good car. And I think they're, they're a little bit still holding on to the railing of oldest guy. And, they, and it keeps, I feel like it's coming up more as a result or we're having to hear it more. That like, it's amazing how he's doing this at his age. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you go back to like just, uh, one, I think there's just a, a human tendency to do stuff like this. Like, you go back to Homeric epic. Uh, it, it's always, <laughs> like, fleet-footed Achilles, right? It's always, like... And, and maybe, they're, maybe they're, like, you know, two Athenians turning to each other and be like, does he have to mention the fucking feet, like, every, every fucking time? time? We get it. Like, Achilles is fast. <laughs> you don't need to keep, like, beating us over the head with it. He's like, got a foot he thing. got it. He does other things. Thing. He's yeah. an unkillable warrior, except for that, th- that other thing with the feet. Uh, but the... I think the the other part of it though is like they're always trying to start like I don't know like for instance every time Carlos and Fernando have an interaction on the track right yeah. they're like oh and they're Carlos racing against one of his heroes you know grew up idolizing this man and I'm like I'm not even sure I've heard him say that that much like you know what I mean it's like <laughs> when they, they start to do that about like some of the British drivers and like Lewis and like I'm just not sure they they sort of make it out as like. Oh, you know, every time that you have this sort of juxtaposition, they got to call that out where it's like, you know, and now uh, the the little children that this driver inspired are here racing against him. Isn't that wild? And it's not because, like, time is linear, man. <laughs> <laughs> I do think there's some angle of it that's like the the realities of, of being a broadcaster where yeah. you have to attach an adjective yeah. to a driver, right? You can't just say for uh, Alonso you have to say the Spaniard or yes uh, or or you can't say Alonso and then Alonso in the same sentence right you have to like refer to them as different things and so yeah I don't know <laughs> the, the oldster uh, is uh, yeah I, I do not envy being a broadcaster having to constantly say things uh, well then I think they yeah. sometimes like stumble into like doing like uh, eth- like ethnic and national stereotyping too oh yeah that's like oh yeah like if there is a uh like latin american or like spanish driver like the odds of them being described as fiery or passionate uh-huh. at oh some yeah, point, yeah. It, like it's just it, it's a probability of one it's just going to happen <laughs> uh and they won't do that to like brett's uh like even if you have a guy who's an obvious hothead it just won't be applied that way yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that's the other part is like, again, the broadcasters do love sort of um, using some of like the same, uh, you know, apples to apples mechanics to get through a broadcast uh, that we all know. Uh, speaking yeah. of old guys, we did get an email about this, um, and but I, I forget who sent it in. Have you seen the Bernie Eccleston documentary series? I've heard it's good. Okay, so Kyle from Canada emailed in. We basically shot me the IMDb link. It is a, is it a six part? I think it's a six part oh, series. Yes. And it's basically him, apparently, I haven't seen it yet. It's basically him just telling stories about old F1. But I've heard 
there, actually, let me just find this email. Here it is. Sorry, here it is. Um, uh, it's an eight-part series. This is from Kyle. It's an eight-part series about dear old Bernie. It's mostly just him telling his own story. However, the best part is there is a ton of classic footage, the really old stuff, colorized. Much of it had never be, uh, been seen before in any other docs or films. It covers such a long period of F1. It's really quite incredible from the early days to the present day. I haven't watched it all yet, but would definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't already. So... I, I honestly, if I saw Bernie Eccleston eight part series, I would have been like, someone's trying to write his legacy <laughs> before before he kicks the bucket, well, and maybe I don't want to hear it. But apparently, it might actually be pretty good. I mean, the odds of him saying something heinous again, probability approaching one. But Bernie is one of those guys where like it is such a big life and like touches like it's it's wild Rags to, to riches kind of thing as well, and, and like you just like. I've been, I listened to a lot of uh, Beyond the Grid, and every old driver has a Bernie story, and he just wore so many different hats going back into, like, really the old days of F1. Uh, there, there's few people, maybe Luca Montezemolo is another, mm. uh, who who go back to uh, sort of the prehistory of modern F1 and have kind of worn so many hats. So, like, I'm very uh, lucky, I think, is the name of the documentary. Uh, yes. And, yeah, I've... I've I've heard it's good. If it's just him telling stories, that could still be pretty damn riveting. Um, it's on Prime Video is what I'm seeing it on, so presumably it's on lots of... No, it's not. Jesus fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it always gets you. What? I need to send you a link of what... <laughs> I clicked look. I guess IMDB had like a watch here on Prime. <laughs> for one ninety nine. Lucky. <clears throat> Let me read you the synopsis of Lucky that I just got. Unlucky Leprechaun, Happy McSweeney. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, it's a good thing there's no... Uh, I'll close that. If you want to go check out Lucky the Animated Cartoon about a, a Happy Leprechaun. It's a good thing there's no Irish drivers on the grid at the moment. Maybe we'd be hearing a bit more about... Oh, they really found their pot of gold there. <laughs> Boy. Eddie Irvine. Got out just in time. Well, Eddie Irvine, well, Irvine branded himself as a like party party animal, and so everyone. Well, I guess that is an Irish stereotype. Uh, yeah, and in fairness, he was also uh, you know a Northern Irish driver during a particularly heinous time for yeah. Northern Irish uh, uh, um, uh, people. Call, yeah, sort of cultural icons, let's say. Um, but yeah, you're right. He also was apparently mad for a pint and uh, for the ladies too. So. He was he was the he was kind of a James Hunt, wasn't he? Like yeah. that's kind of what he was. But he was in like, an era where F one is not going to tolerate that shit. Anymore. No, no, not at all. Well, uh, if you <laughs> would like to do some crimes, you could follow us on social media. We are on the Twitter. We're on the Mastodon. Uh, you can use the show notes to follow that because saying Mastodon handles is weird. <laughs> um, but you could follow us around the internet, or Danny, we could race around the world. We could race around the world. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Can I just say before we get straight into this, having mm. done like two and a half thousand miles across America, I saw a lot of camping world icons, really? like logos, like maybe the actual ones themselves, or maybe just people who rented some shit and they had camping world written over it. Mm-hmm. And 
because my wife does not listen to this podcast, I had to bite my tongue and every so single time say it. Camping World Trucks. In my, in my yeah. brain, I was <laughs> yeah. saying it. So I'm very excited. Hopefully it comes up today because, dear Lord. I have trouble seeing I'm, the word NASCAR <laughs> without hearing NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even talk to me about DTM. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. The, 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 as we know, the Camping World... Sponsorship has gone from the trucks, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it, we know what it will always be in our hearts. Yes. Um, things kick see, off. I did not see Gander Mountain anywhere, I will say that. <laughs> uh, things kick off on Thursday. Uh, I mean, times in Australia are weird. I don't know what they're doing down there. Um, but the, the, the Repco supercars are racing at Albert Park on the same uh, weekend as Formula One as kind of a support series. They apparently do four races now. It's a lot. Oof. Uh, MotoGP, uh, they are at the International Autodromo Termas de Rio Hondo in Argentina for their rounds. They're also doing a bunch of races. They do sprint races now for every round. My lord. I don't know how I feel about that. Mm. Uh, Formula 2 and Formula 3 will be also supporting uh, Formula 1. Boy, that Albert Park circuit is going to get a lot of use this weekend. Good stuff. Uh, and as mentioned, the Craftsman Trucks are at the Richmond Raceway in Richmond, Virginia uh, for the SpeedyCash.com 200. Mm. Don't use that service. Sure, that's a reputable Don't use reputable don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, the Xfinity Series is also uh, in Richmond for the Toyota Care 250. Mm. Uh, we've got IndyCar at the Texas Motor Speedway. And we got NASCAR. Oh, my. Also in Richmond, Richmond oh. Virginia. Richer than For rich. the, yep, uh, Toyota Owners 400. Real theme. Toyota Owners. Yeah. Yep. Toyota Owners. Toyota Owners. Toyota Owners. Toyota. I tweet out for our listeners. Before the show, we had a conversation about <laughs> run times. <laughs> And, like, uh, we need to really trim some of the fat off the show. And we just spent five minutes glitching out over Toyota. Toyota. You know why? Because the runtime's short right now. Yeah, I just checked it. We got to pad this out. Toyota earners. Oh, my God. Toyota earners. Uh, Well... Maybe, maybe as I read the uh, the race times for Formula One, Danny, you can find us another email. Uh, it's also weird. It's it's a weird Australia uh, weekend. Um, I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna do Pacific and Eastern. Oh my lord! Yeah. So uh, Thursday, March thirtieth, Pacific time. We've got free practice one at six thirty p.m. on ESPN News. Uh, whereas it's 9.30 p.m. in Eastern Time. Free Practice 2, 10 p.m. Uh, in Pacific Time, but 1 a.m. the following morning on ESPN2. Now, oh Friday, March 31st at 6.30 p.m. is when, uh, at Pacific Time, is when Free Practice 3 starts, uh, but that is um, 9.30 p.m. in the East uh, also on ESPN News. Then qualifying 10 p.m. Pacific uh, on that Friday. But that is 1 a.m. Mm. Eastern on Saturday it's on weird. ESPN. Yeah. I don't like uh, it. The race, Saturday, April 1st, 
uh, on uh, ESPN um, at 10 p.m. Pacific, so which is 1 a.m. Eastern it's like, on Sunday, April 2nd. Like UFC time. I'm going to be sitting down to watch a race. I like it. I have one yeah. more email. It's not really an email. Also, that lucky one was kind of a hidden email. Okay. I'm trying to pad it in. But, uh, and this does also trod on some common ground, but we didn't bring it up. So this one comes from Rachel. Hi, Speedy Boys. Just wanted to make sure you see that F1's favorite team principal is going to be at the booth for the NASCAR Cup Series race at Coda next weekend. Should be worth tuning in just for that. She is, of course, talking about Gunter Steiner. Did you see him in the commentary booth at Coda? I was on a road trip, so I wasn't already on the internet, but I did get about 30 pictures of Gunter Steiner in the commentary box, so people were clearly into it. Did either of you guys hear him? I did. How did it do? How did our boy do? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, as happens to many people, I think, you know, he is very unselfconscious around the drive to survive, like, documentary crew. Right. But that is a different world than you are put in a booth and a microphone is, like, jammed in your hand. And it's like, be interesting and have things to say. And so he didn't... Uh, at least during qualifying, he wasn't exactly riveting. However, I did learn things like apparently a company he owns supplies a lot of parts to NASCAR. And the oh. guys were ribbing him because uh, people kept breaking their, their cars a little bit, going over bumps and such. And they were like, well, that's all just that's just money in your pocket. Money in the isn't pocket. It? Yeah. And he was trying to laugh it off, but they kind of kept going at it. Where it's like you're just make, you're making bank off this race, and he was like, "Oh, you know, I mean, I don't own the company alone," and they kind of wouldn't let it drop. But yeah, uh, so Gunther Steiner, a man of many uh, many varied interests. I, I I start think of him as like he's just out there being a team principal, but no, he he has like sidelines uh, with like deep roots in mm. other racing series. Uh, well, not to step on the toes of our upcoming Patreon-exclusive review of Drive to Survive Season 5, but I would watch a full season of him and Mattia Bonato just buddying around. That was my favorite part of the entire thing. Uh, the, that, this season, drive, drive to Survive, set an impossible <laughs> bar with like having them go on a Fiat road trip. Uh, oh my to god! Mattia's winery, so good. Like it's just not going to improve on that. I'm sorry. No. Oh, what an opener. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. They they peaked early. I think it's fair to say. Uh, okay. Uh, well, speaking of speaking of the moving image and uh, catching up on things that we forgot to mention, unless you guys hit it in the last podcast. Congratulations to Michelle Yeoh for the best actress oh, yes. Oscar win, and shout out to her partner of nearly twenty years, former Ferrari team principal and head of the FIA, Jean Todd. Yes, a lot of confused emails. Why is Jean Todd at the Oscars? Why is Jean Todd standing next to Michelle Yeoh at the Oscars? Um, I feel like we covered it on the podcast a number of years ago um, that they are married. They're sorry, they're not married. They have been go- they have been going out for like I think fifteen twenty years or something like a long yeah. time, and they yeah. just never got around to getting married, and it's kind of become a running joke or something. I don't know. There's probably yes, some Blake and Alex both emailed us about right this. Yeah. Uh, It blew my mind when I was watching the Oscars. I had completely forgotten. Yeah. I'm I'm not... I I, I guess in my head, Jean Todd is a sort of a boring sort of bureaucrat. I don't see him as like a a dashing 
race driver in his elder years or anything. So that's why it's always, it's not necessarily the sort of Hollywood meeting the racing world. It's that Michelle Yeoh, it does seem like she comes from a completely different world. Like she's like an incredibly talented, like stunt woman as well. Like, right. Who's like had this amazing career in like Hong Kong cinema and has like obviously made the the transition over, had like crazy, you know, Crouching Tiger stuff. That was like 20 years ago at this stage. So she's had like this incredible career. So to me, it's always like John John Todd did well. You know what I mean? Even though he's like obviously an incredibly rich and powerful person in his own right. But you're like, all right, good job, John Todd, hanging out with the with the Daniels. Imagine well, the imagine the Daniels and oh John Todd God. having a chat. Just like picture that. That's happened. That has happened right yeah, now. I yeah, mean, I, I'm on I'm on the Wikipedia now, and uh, <laughs> he 20 years ago. He was CEO and special advisor at Ferrari. Right. Uh, general manager of Scuderia Ferrari, nineteen ninety four to two thousand seven. So, yeah, he was. He was in it, man. He was he, the guy has had an incredible career in motorsport since he was at Peugeot in the eighties. Um, apparently, he did some rally stuff before that. He's yeah, like I put my hands up. I'm not, I'm not saying like Sean Todd's not a talented man. Who's obviously. He was, like, Carved he his own winning, career. He was winning uh, Formula One World Championships as the team principal right. when they met. Well, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Look, I mean, this is the thing. Like, some people love a short king. And, <laughs> like, I do not think there was a. Like,. That body of success, that's like short emperor stuff. That like right. Napoleonic levels of achievement uh, mm. in, in that era. He is 17 years older than her as well. Which... That may, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I don't know. Just, yeah, exactly. Weird, because he's looked the exact same for like 30 years. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's what I, In my head, he's always been that guy. He's always been a sort of, you know, I don't know, an old man, I guess. Look, we're all old men. We'll all be old men. Will we have well, our, Danny, our Michelle Yeoh beside us? Now. I know. Speaking of old men, <laughs> I know. Yeah, we got to get this thing to sixty minutes. We're really, really close. I did forget the book. It's incredible how I, I have the I have the page, but I did. It's incredible how I I consistently miss the book when I'm here, but when I'm when I'm in a hotel, like just having left Death Valley, I I have the book. I don't know what's wrong with my brain. Um, shout out to my wife for uh, sending me a screenshot of the page this week because I forgot. Uh, this one, March 29th in F1 history. Carlos Rodeman may have won the Brazilian Grand Prix today in 1981, but he lost at least one friend in teammate Alan Jones. Rudderman was leading the race in the closing stages with Jones just behind him. Jones, as the reigning world champion and Williams' leader, expected Rodeman to let him through, and the, uh, the team held out pit boards telling him to move over lap after lap. Everyone assumed he would do it on the final lap, but he didn't and took the checkered flag. Jones was furious and all as the season wore on and Rudderman put together a decent tilt at the championship, he had to do it without Jones's help. At the 1998 Australian Grand Prix, the McLarens had pulverized the opposition with Hakkinen and Coulthard featuring, sorry, finishing a full lap ahead of everyone else, my lord. At the next race in Brazil on this day, they proved Australia was no fluke by doing exactly the same thing with Hakkinen leading home another McLaren 1-2 as the Finnish driver began his title-winning season in style. Schumacher got a little closer, 
but was still more than a minute behind the Woking cars at the end of the race. There you go. There, there's there's something wow. to aim for for those papaya cars. Uh, well, I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that this that is the benchmark for where uh, Red Bull is. Mm. Like the, the last time that a car was this dominant was, was that. Right. Madness. And it all, hey, look, like, you know, Rob said, time is a flat circle. You said something like that. I forgot what it was. Time is linear. It's also circles. Well, not what Rob, forget what Rob said. I'm saying something. <laughs> time repeats. And if you're watching this for long enough, you know, eventually, you know, every, every king has its day, I guess, unless you're Philippe Massa. Okay. I don't know what any of that meant. So maybe it's time to end the show. Uh, final thoughts ahead of uh, the Australian Grand Prix, Danny. Uh, don't do a podcast when you've just uh, stopped uh, 50 hours of driving over the uh, course of a couple of weeks. I don't know. I don't know how you filled in. Thank you, both of you, for, oh, for filling in last no week. No problem. Shout out to my, my kid for not being too loud in the background during those podcasts. I think she popped up in the video at one stage. Uh, thank you, uh, RME, and I'm looking forward to this race. Uh, to me, Australia always feels like the season starter, so in a weird way, I have this sort of like echoey feeling when it comes to the third race of this season um yeah I'm, i think it's a f- it's familiar ground so i often like seeing the cars drive around here uh, to get a real sense of kind of how they look i feel like i never get that from Jeddah anyway because i don't really know that track well enough yeah it's both at night too yes uh final thoughts rob yeah, I think we're good to keep dropping news stories into the into the show outline and uh, make sure we got an ample <laughs> vault of content discussion points. We're ju- we're just too good yeah. at it th- at this point. I could have stretched know? the Michelle Yeoh stuff longer if you wanted. No, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> All right, Can we read the synopsis to the second <laughs> season of Lucky? <laughs> What what's what happens on uh, tomorrow in Formula One is? Yeah, uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to us, such as such as it is, uh, and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at Patreon.com/slash/ShiftF1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.